You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and I don't think that was quite what anyone thought was going to be happening against the Cleveland Browns a lot a lot to discuss and peel back the onion on on this one. We've got a great guest coming up, Jim Miller of NFL Radio on Sirius XM. And of course, you guys know him, former Chicago Bears quarterback, starting quarterback of that great 2001 Dick Duran team that went 13 and three, as well as now an analyst for Fox. And, you know, you, you hear Jim all over the place in Chicago. So gonna have Jim on here. I was really excited the way the schedule worked out that that Fields was starting against Cleveland and Jim was going to be on the podcast this week because I said, hey, look, former quarterback, he he analyzes quarterback play for a living, and we're going to have him on to talk about Justin Fields, you know, first ever start in the NFL. And that first ever start was such a mess, such an epic mess. I, you know, you have a hard time looking at anything Justin Fields did positively or negatively because of the mess that was around him. And this team right now, and again, they may win against Detroit. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying they're going to lose out here and, and win, go 1-16. But this team is on the cusp of having a collapse. And I have serious concerns about what's going to happen here. Because after this Detroit game, things get really tough on that schedule the Raiders game, which I thought was going to be a, a, a far easier game. Now, the defense isn't incredible with Vegas, but this team is a lot better than I gave them credit for. That's not easy. And then you look at that stretch where you've got games, you know, this isn't in the exact order, but you've got games against Green Bay. You've got games against San Francisco, games against Baltimore. You, you've got a lot of tough games coming up here in October and November, and there's, there's not a lot of games where you just sit there and circle them and go, that's a win. You just don't have that with this team. And if this team isn't playing with more confidence and more ability than they're currently showing right now, this we're, we're in for a long, long season in Chicago. And, and I don't know what the solution is going to be. But what we saw against Cleveland was just an abomination offensively. And there's so much to get into offensively. I'm actually going to hold off on that for a second. And I want to give a few thoughts defensively, because if you heard this podcast a couple of weeks ago, I crushed the Chicago Bears defense for their performance against the Rams. Now, I know McVay's great. And I'm a big fan of Matt Stafford and, and his abilities. And him and McVay are, certainly look like that is the perfect marriage. 
McVay with Stafford is showing how much better his offense can be with Stafford rather than Jared Goff. So we've got, so the, the Bears in that situation had a, a and they were in a, a tough situation to have that type of team right out of the gate. And the defense just got boat raced, just didn't even give the offense a chance. So when that's the what performance you have defensively, and to see Sean Desai make changes like he's made, moving Duke Shelley and instead of, now again, I'm not saying Duke Shelley is, is Bryce Callahan in the, in the slot there, but Duke Shelley has performed significant, not amazing, but significantly better than Christian did in week one. You know, he's he's trying to bring dial up some pressures to take a little pressure off the secondary. The, the defensive front is definitely getting home more here in weeks two and week three, which is just helping the defense out, you know, tremendously as a full unit, getting that pass rush and not just letting quarterback, you know, Stafford just had time to sit back there and pick apart the defense. And like I said, after that week one game, the only time that the Rams went three and out was because the Bears got home and got a sack. All the other times, the Bear, the Rams were basically gaining 12 yards of play. So Desai has made some nice adjustments here. Now, if you look at the box score and just see the amount of total yards that Cleveland had, points, you wouldn't sit there and say that that was particularly a good game from Sean Desai. But that's where stats, again, can be misleading. A lot of those yards were in the second half. A lot of those yards were because the offense was totally inept. That defense played well. The defense played well, and if anyone says differently, and I haven't seen anyone say differently, but if anyone says differently, they don't know what they're talking about. So while I was highly critical of the defense in week one, they have really made some positive changes in week two and week three, and they look good. I don't think they have the talent to be an elite defense anymore. I don't think they're ever in a position here where they're going to recapture 2018 unless they infuse a lot more talent into this into this roster. But they can be a good defense. They can be a top half unit in the league, and that will go a long way for this team. But the issue that we are seeing now is what has happened offensively with this team. Now, again, keep in mind, we they, they just won two weeks ago. I understand it was against a Cincinnati team, but this is against a Cincinnati team that looks a little better than I think people thought. So this offense and what we saw against Cleveland, there are so many problems that it's difficult to, to start, to, to figure out where to start. Now, looking at the offensive line, if you listen to this podcast, and I'm not alone in this, a lot of people had concerns about this offensive line. A lot of people didn't like Jermaine Effetti at right tackle. A lot of people didn't like Sam Mustafer at center. And a lot of people had concerns about left tackle and how much Jason Peters had left in the tank. Well, I'll tell you what, Jason Peters can handle average NFL defensive players still. He, he still has enough ability left in that body that he can play against standard NFL players. But he has zero chance against good ones. Zero chance against good ones. And I know that Charles Leno is just the whipping boy for Bears fans, that he stinks. First of all, Charles Leno does not stink. And that injury to Ryan Fitzpatrick was very unfortunate. And yes, that was Charles Leno's fault. But Charles Leno, as a whole, has played pretty well for Washington. And based on how the offensive line has played for Chicago, maybe, just maybe, he would be a help on this unit. Just maybe. 
Now, I know Bears fans don't want to hear, and I'm guessing right now there are Bears fans listening to this podcast that turned it off because I showed an ounce of support for Charles Leno. But when you look at how this team is played on the offensive line, Cody Whitehair got humiliated by Aaron Donald, and not just Aaron Donald. He's been humiliated by other people as well. Cody Whitehair is a highly paid offensive lineman who needs to be playing better than he is based on his contract, period. James Daniels, who I've been a supporter of, has not looked like the same James Daniels that I saw handle Aaron Donald in 2018. The same James Daniels that I saw look played solid, I thought, before his injury last season. James Daniels looks off this year. I can't figure out why. Sam Mustafer, while he's bulked up, I still don't see Sam Mustafer winning any kind of power battles in the interior. I don't see him really moving any guys off the offensive line. And on pass pro, I've seen him, where's the anchor? He keeps getting blown back into the pocket. I, I'm not happy with what I've seen with Mustafer. And Effetti, while he looked decent the first couple games, now you saw why Jermaine Effetti should not be starting at right tackle. I've said all along, Jermaine Effetti should be at right guard. But again, say they're, they're obsessed with Sam Mustafer. I think they'd be much better off having Daniels or Whitehair play center. And I don't want to keep playing musical chairs with, with, with Whitehair and, and Daniels. I think that's part of the reason they've been stunted in terms of their development and, and ability. But they, they should not, just committing to Sam Mustafer like this was, was questionable to me. Jermaine Effetti, I mean, just got crushed on some of those plays, you know, penalties. Jermaine Effetti is not the answer at right tackle. He is not the answer at right tackle. And I understand that Tevin Jenkins is injured. And we don't know if he's even going to play this season. And that definitely hurt the offensive line. They were expecting him to step in and be a quality NFL player from day one. I never would have even have moved him off the right side. He's a proven right side commodity. The left tackle, right tackle thing, as this NFL offenses continue to evolve in the direction they are, is becoming more and more of a myth that you need your better tackle at left than at right. That is not the case. And if you notice in salaries, the right tackle salaries keep continuing to catch up to the left tackle. And we're going to continue to see that trend. So this obsession, I don't know why Tevin Jenkins needs to move to left tackle. At this point, keep him at right tackle when he comes back. You can bump a Fetty inside or put a Fetty on the bench. And eventually Larry Borum, if he can develop, maybe he can develop into your left tackle. I still don't know if I've seen enough from Borum, if he can be that guy. But this offensive line has problems and it does not have solutions. And that's going to be a problem all season. So Juan Castillo needs to sit down, whether it's by himself, whether it's with Matt Nagy, whether it's with Bill Lazor, and figure out how they can get this unit playing better as a group. Offensive line has always been the sum is greater than the individual parts. And if you have super talented players that are playing disjointedly, that offensive line is going to perform a lot worse than a less talented offensive line that has a lot of cohesion in it. So this offensive line needs to play better. Cole Komet needs to get his head out of you. You know what? He has not played well. This is We needed to see Cole Komet step up. I had concerns if he had the talent to step up and he has not done it. Cole Komet is not becoming that tight end, that Zach Hurts, that Travis Kelsey in an Andy Reid offense. He's not becoming it, and we needed to see more growth than we've seen in the first three games. Cole Komet stunk against Cleveland. He did nothing right. I did not see one thing on film that Cole Komet did anything right. So that's a problem. David Montgomery looks excellent. 
Looks like he's even better than David Montgomery from last year. David Montgomery is trying to prove me wrong when I said that I think David Montgomery can be good and can be an NFL cog in an offense, but can't be Alvin Kamara. You know, can't be Derrick Henry. Can't be that elite running back that an offense can be built around. David Montgomery wants to prove me wrong and prove anyone wrong that felt that about him. He continues to improve and play better, but David Montgomery cannot do it alone. And he needs some help out of that offensive line. And what was even more remarkable is that it's he seemingly was doing a lot of it on his own, where he's just getting yards after contact. So David Montgomery needs help. And the wide receivers, Allen Robinson's been a ghost this year. And you know, I'm a big fan of Allen Robinson. I would have extended him before playing the franchise tag game. But Allen Robinson has not played well. Made a couple nice catches. Sure, he's an elite receiver. He's going to make a couple nice catches. He's not on this team to block, but he has to block when, when he's called on it. Allen Robinson hasn't blocked particularly well. Allen Robinson has not made catches that he needs to make. Allen Robinson hasn't played well. This whole offense is disjointed. And at the quarterback play, Andy Dalton actually was playing well in within this offense. I understand it was dink and dunk. I understand it was boring and it wasn't explosive. But Andy Dalton may have been playing better than anyone else on this offense at this point. And I, you know, maybe outside David Montgomery. That's the situation we're in, people. And when you look at the offense, you say, all right, what's the problem? To me, there's two major problems. Again, in this Cleveland situation, it was 100% that I don't think Matt Nagy did what he needed to do to support Justin Fields. Now, Justin Fields has unfair expectations on him right now. Justin Fields, I think every Bears fan, you know, 95% of Bears fans just expected him to be like Russell Wilson as a rookie. Just one of those rookies that just steps in and controls an offense and plays well. And if he could be that guy, that's amazing. It's absolutely amazing when things come together for a rookie like that. And I understand that Justin Fields had that, you know, NFL-ready label put on him, that he was one of, if not the most NFL-ready quarterback out of this group. But Justin Fields did have some things he needed to work on. And I think Matt Nagy recognized, and I'm not here to defend Matt Nagy, but I think Matt Nagy recognized that he needed to work on some of those things, which is why he didn't want him to start week one. Now, I would have started him week one, and I've said that, I'm not going to back off that. But whether it's protections, whether it was going through the week, whether it was grasping the offense a little bit more, there was plenty of things that Justin Fields still needed to work on. His release isn't quick. You know, there's issues with Fields. I love Fields. He's got an elite arm talent. He's got elite athleticism. I love his leadership. He's just got that it feeling that I think you just want a quarterback to have. You know, he's he's just, you know, he just feels like he's in control. He, he's got a great work ethic. I mean, Fields checks a lot of boxes of that guy you want at, at the quarterback. But first of all, I don't think Matt Nagy did a lot to support him. And again, this isn't like groundbreaking news. This isn't me saying something that other people haven't said. But what what exactly, I mean, Bill Lazor ran a competent offense in Cincinnati with, with Andy Dalton. Flip was considered a great QB coach. His offensive coordinator resume isn't great if you look at how those offenses performed when he was the coordinator. 
but a great QB coach. Bill Lazor's a competent offensive coach. Matt Nagy learned under Andy Reid. And look, for, for what it's worth, when Matt Nagy called plays in the regular season the last five, six games for Kansas City in 2017, he averaged 410 yards of offense at 31 points a game. So these are guys that have some understanding of an NFL offense, and yet somehow when they come together, and look, Nagy's at the top, so Nagy gets the blame, but putting together an NFL game plan is a collaboration. That's them sitting down and, and look, studying film together, what can they exploit? Where where can they where where are their strengths and the other team's weaknesses? And what are we going to do this week? That's a collaborative effort. Matt Nagy doesn't sit there and do it in his basement by himself and then just throw it at the guys and go, "Here's what's happening this week." That's not how this works. It's a collaboration. So all these guys sat down and said, "Let's just do a lot of five man protection. Let's not move the pocket. Let's not roll fields out." Let's not utilize a lot of play action. Let's not utilize a lot of pre-snap motion. I mean, I'm not saying you had to do all these things against Cleveland, but some of them, just, it was a very uh, vanilla attempt to support Justin Fields here. Where were those quick, easy plays right out of the gate to just build some confidence for Fields? There was just nothing. That game plan was horrible. And they had to throw the game plan out the window because none of it was working and Cleveland had everything figured out. And it just it just put the Bears' offense in an impossible situation. Now, the other issue is execution. And, and, and I, I, I'm going to talk to Jim Miller about that because I'd like to know what, where, is, where is the issue with execution at the NFL level? Because... And, and I don't think this is just for the Bears. I think this is for just about any team, for the most part. When you watch film and you see a game, and you see a play that doesn't work, that loses a yard or incomplete pass or, you know, too much pressure on the quarterback, what's the issue? Nine times out of ten, it's some sort of execution failure in the offense. Sometimes the defense just makes a play. It doesn't matter what the offense did. The defense just makes a play. But offensively, most of the time it's, you know, well, this guy missed a block or this guy didn't run the right route or it was a misread by the quarterback or, you know, he was the timing route was late or, you know, any number of things. This guy slipped and fell down. Any number of things that could happen offensively. And he said, if that didn't happen, this play would have worked. And that, to me, summarizes the Matt Nagy offense. If this didn't happen, this play would have worked. I had a buddy tell me, that Matt Nagy, I thought this was funny, is that guy in college that we all knew that stunk at Madden and everybody kicked his butt at Madden football. But when you were beating his ass, he said, I don't understand how this play doesn't work. It, it crushes it against the computer. And I, I feel like that's Matt Nagy. He draws up these plays. He says, this should work. And then when it's on the field, it doesn't. And it's because execution. And sometimes it's just poor execution by a veteran player where there's no excuses. And sometimes it's unreal expectations where Matt Nagy, you know, where he's just looking at an X and an O, he seems seemingly failing to realize that you've got a 180-pound receiver against a 240-pound defensive end. So that execution that this offense has on the regular is just substandard to NFL standards. I, I don't understand. Is it a lack of an accountability? 
Is it is it not handling the basics and stressing the basics in practice? I mean, these are professional athletes. This isn't a 17-year-old kid. These are professional athletes. And the execution, this isn't just this year. This is last year and in 2019. The execution is not there. And I don't understand what the problem is. So, so when the game plan is bad and the execution is bad, you have to look at the man in charge. And that man in charge is Matt Nagy. Now, anyone who listens to this podcast or follows me on Twitter knows I've been a pretty pretty strong supporter of Matt Nagy overall. I went as far as saying Matt Nagy is the fourth best coach in the history of the Bears. And honestly, even after that Cleveland debacle, I'll stand by that. Matt Nagy is not Lovey Smith. He's not Mike Ditka. He's not George House. But in the last 50, 50 years, so forget 20s and 30s. I mean, forget that. In the last 50 years or so, I think he's better than Dave wants that. I think he's better than John Fox. I think he's better than Mark Tressman. I think he's better than Dick Duran. I think he's better than Neil Armstrong or Jack Pardee. Pardee, better coach overall, but in Chicago, better than Jack Pardee. So when you look at the other coaches, Matt Nagy's more accomplished. Two playoffs in three years, 12 and four, division record, two two inches away from winning a playoff game, you know, and that field goal. So Matt, Matt Nagy has accomplished a pretty good amount in three years with the Bears, despite what the optics look like internally. But right now, this is about Justin Fields. I don't care about this season. Said it all along. This season is about developing Justin Fields to make him the best quarterback he can be. And to do that, you have to look at the coaching staff and the team around him. It's not just about developing Fields. It's about the team and everything around him. And when I look at what Matt Nagy has done, Matt Nagy is not supporting Justin Fields enough in the game plan. Matt Nagy is not adjusting enough for Justin Fields in the game plan. Players are not executing under Matt Nagy, and I don't know why. I'm not saying they should go the Joe Judge approach and make everyone run laps. That, I think that's a ridiculous thing to do to 30-year-old athletes. But there is something missing, and I know this team is hyped around Justin Fields. You can tell how much they love him, but they're not executing around him, and I don't know why. So if I'm looking at this, a team that constantly has lack, lacking execution and a coach who I don't think is putting together the best game plan for the, his talent, then I think it's time to move on from Matt Nagy. Now, are they going to fire him if they lose to Detroit? No, and I don't think they should. That's, that's a pretty abrupt change. But look, this is going to happen here. They lose to Detroit and then Vegas and the Packers and, and that schedule coming up. They're going to they're gonna tumble. They're going to lose games. And when, when teams get in these big four, five, six-game losing streaks, point, fingers are pointed, locker rooms get a little, little agitated, you don't listen to your coach as much. You know, winning breeds a good environment. Losing breeds a pissy environment. And the Bears are in serious danger of that happening. So at this point, because I don't know if Matt Nagy's the right guy for Justin Fields in 2022, then there's no point giving him a full season with Justin Fields. So if it was me, you got to start looking at a point where you can just have Bill Lazor and Flip run the offense and, and move on. That's where we are. And I said it in January. What 
Ted Phillips, what George McCaskey set up in January was such a toxic situation to basically tell the head coach and GM, you need to figure out the quarterback situation in one season and you need to win games. So now the Bears are in a situation where they backloaded more money and they did whatever they could to bring in a couple veterans to try and make this roster as strong as possible, not for the future, but for this season. And simultaneously, they're trying to develop a rookie quarterback. That doesn't fit in the jigsaw puzzle. Those pieces do not go together. You're either developing a quarterback to win in 2022, 2023, and 2024, or you're trying to win this season. So now the Bears are in a situation where they're trying to do both. It doesn't work in the NFL that way. Not very often, at least, unless your quarterback is, you know, a rookie like Russell Wilson or Justin Herbert and just clicks right away for him. If that's not the case, then you've got yourself a serious problem. And that's what the Bears have. And I just, there's no solution here. And it's frustrating. And not only is it frustrating, it's frustrating for the fact that they're not going to have the solutions as quickly as they should down the line. So if the at this point, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, they need to be shown the door. Ryan Pace is too busy trying to squeeze out wins rather than look at the big picture of this salary cap situation and this roster overall. He's made this roster the oldest or one of the oldest in the NFL with not a ton of talent on it. It's one thing if you are an aging team that's trying to keep a Super Bowl window open and you bring in a bunch of veterans. You know, it's like the Tampa Bay Bucks bringing in Antonio Brown, working out Richard Sherman. You know, they're trying to win. So bring in the veterans. They don't care what their average age is because they're going to ride this wave until it collapses underneath them and Tom Brady retires and Antonio Brown leaves. Whatever the case is, they just want to ride this wave and try and win. The Bears are just as old as any of them, and they're trying to develop. It's totally backwards. So I'm fine moving on. I'm totally fine moving on at this point. So Chicago Bears fans that wanted Matt Nagy fired two years ago and I defended the guy, if you want to have your I told you so moment, then fine. You can give your I told you so moment. But I still stand by that when Matt, when people were calling for Matt Nagy to be fired, he should not have been fired. But again, at this point, what is it with, with Matt Nagy? You know, we always said that Trubisky was a bum slayer, right? Detroit, you know, and Tampa stunk. You know, he, he put up those big numbers. But anytime you needed Trubisky to play well, when the lights were on, he he crumpled. And I had a Twitter, uh, someone from Chicago Bears Twitter, uh, Bear Down, I think it was at B-A-B-H Bear on Twitter. He sent me a tweet and said that Matt Nagy is the Jared Goff of coaches. And I think that is a bullseye. I was totally on board with that comparison because Jared Goff has some abilities. He has some talent. Sean McVay squeezed every drop of it out of him. But Jared Goff was not a guy who was going to win you the game at the at the end of the game. Was not, you know, he, Jared Goff is 0-10 when he doesn't have Sean McVay. Jared Goff has, a, you know, he's got some things he can do, but he can never elevate his team. He just, you know, when things are going well, Goff's going well. But Jared Goff is not going to elevate a team and I think that's Matt Nagy. And if you want to win, if you want to be good, Jared Goff isn't good enough. And the NFL knows Jared Goff isn't good enough.
And one other thing I want, I want to say here, and, and you know I am trying to move on from Mitch Trubisky and focus on other things, but there's one thing I want to say. This idea that Matt Nagy is bad, so that proves that Mitch Trubisky is good, is not a valid argument, all right? Mitch Trubisky is a failed NFL draft pick. Doesn't mean he's not going to figure it out in a few years. It doesn't mean he can't be a valuable backup to teams for the next decade if he doesn't ever fully figure it out. But because Nagy isn't good, it does not mean that Trubisky is good and Nagy failed him. I mean, here's the perfect example. This past offseason, Sam Darnold was still a commodity. Darnold played probably worse than Mitch Trubisky did in only one less season. But NFL evaluators saw that there was something with Sam Darnold. Maybe not all NFL evaluators, but multiple NFL evaluators saw something with Sam Darnold and Carolina pulled the trigger to bring him in and make him their starting quarterback. And that was based on where Carolina was. Carolina could have had Justin Fields. It was, you know, Mac Jones. It was controversial for Carolina to make that move. But Sam Darnold so far looks pretty good. You're not going to mistake him for Patrick Mahomes, but Sam Darnold looks pretty good. Mitch Trubisky's past offseason was barren. Washington, you know, potentially needed a quarterback. San Francisco wasn't sure if they were going to keep Jimmy G. They were looking at a potential quarterback. There were teams that needed a veteran quarterback to compete. Denver, you know, for a potential starting job, those teams all went elsewhere. Not one team said, we want Mitch Trubisky. The Buffalo Bills did because they have an MVP caliber quarterback and they thought Mitch's skill set kind of similar, the poor man, Josh Allen, if you will. So if Allen gets hurt, Trubisky can step in and be a capable backup to this offense. And that, that, that fits. That's probably a good idea. But Mitch Trubisky... The entire league did not consider him worthy of trying to compete for a starting job. They did with Sam Darnold. That's NFL evaluators. That's not me. That's not any bloggers. That's not anyone that you think has something out for Mitch Trubisky because they don't like him. I think everyone in Chicago wanted Trubisky to succeed. And, and the people that, that wanted it but didn't see it are disappointed that it didn't happen. So this Trubisky hater crap is just such nonsense. It's just simply the fact that he did not develop into the quarterback that any of us hoped for, period. So Trubisky can be bad and Matt Nagy can be bad. It does not mean that Trubisky is good. And I don't want to get into this too much, but I saw a ton of this on Twitter the last couple of days and it just drove me up a wall. So here we are, got a big game coming up against Detroit, but we got a rotten game to analyze against the Cleveland Browns next. Bring on Jim Miller. Plenty to discuss with him, former Bears quarterback. He joins us next. This is Bears Banter. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for our next guest. Always look forward to this one. He's been kind enough to join me a few times. He's former Chicago Bears quarterback, Jim Miller. Now Sirius XM's NFL's moving the change, change, <laughs> moving the chains. There we go. Every day, three to seven Eastern. And of course, he's uh, all over Bears broadcast preseason and, and Fox, uh, Fox postgame coverage. So you all know him well. Jim, thanks so much for joining me. You bet. Good to be with you, Bill. All right. Now, I, I was excited that we had this lined up, especially when it's set up for Justin Fields' first NFL start, getting your analysis on, on his on his first performance here. And, and I'm just before we jump into this, I just want to say one thing. And this is why you don't argue with people who know more about football than you, because I see Jim every year at the Super Bowl. And two years ago, we got into a debate because Jim was very high on Justin Herbert, even potentially even more so over Joe Burrow. And I basically called him crazy. And I'm here to tell you, Jim, you had that one pegged. <laughs> yeah. He's playing really well, man, for, I mean, give him a lot of credit. And, and you know, and I hate to see young quarterbacks go through uh, the changing of, of coaches and here, and he's now on his second offense and he looks like he hasn't missed a beat, man. He is really lighting it up and really developing into a nice player. Yeah. And, and, and I actually, I wanted to bring up Justin Herbert for the idea that, you know, you, you hear about quarterback prospects and how much are they NFL ready? And, and I think people have the idea that NFL ready means that they're going to come in and play like Justin Herbert did, did as a rookie, but, you know, and you heard a lot of people pre before the season and, and leading up to the draft that fields out of this group, maybe one of the most NFL ready out of this group. And now you see after one game, a lot of people potentially, changing their minds and saying, well, maybe he isn't ready. Now, there was a whole lot of things going on against Cleveland that, that we're going to get into. But where are you as in terms of analyzing a, a rookie quarterback, a prospect quarterback in terms of them being NFL ready? And what do you look for? for that? Yeah, they're, they're all different, you know, and I think we saw this past weekend. I mean, look at the rookie quarterbacks. They were 0 for 4 and they all played poorly. Um, so every player is different and how far they're, they're along, you know, just mentally and what they know about offenses and how much they can handle in terms of the volume of offenses. And it's just everybody's different, you know, and, and you look at Justin Fields. It's hard for me to for anybody to say that Justin Fields was NFL ready when he hadn't even called a play at Ohio State. That whole offense turns to the sideline and they get the play from the coach. He doesn't even call a play. So. Coming to the Bears, you knew it was going to take time for, for him. So getting these uh, long, wordy plays, spitting them out, understanding, uh, seeing a picture in your head of what the play actually means, where it just lights up almost like a blueprint where you see the play. And then, of course, to, uh, to really manage everything at the line of scrimmage. You know, there's check with me's. you got to call protections. You're pointing out things. And I don't know how much they're putting on Justin Fields, but I knew it was going to take some some time for him. You know, the young man is very talented, but but he's not Superman. He needs players around him until he gets up to the to, to that par of managing the game in the NFL. And clearly, going into Cleveland, everybody just thought magic was going to happen, and that's just not the case. You know, the the young man's going to need some help. You could tell he's got some a lot of growth where he needs to develop. Even last week. Uh, when he got in 10 plays when Andy Dalton went down. So literally, he, he probably had about 30 plays. 10 of his 30 plays, you would grade it out as a negative. What do I mean by that? He had an interception. He had a fumble that luckily he recovered. He had a couple false starts. He had some misreads where he missed a blitz. So 
if you're grading out a quarterback uh, per per uh, per play, and a third of your plays are negative, that's not where you want to be, and that tells me that he's not ready, and why the Cleveland situation it just kind of compounded uh, with the game plan and other players that weren't playing well, veteran players who weren't playing well, and it just kind of compounds everything for the young quarterback. All right, so before we get into a little more with Fields, the, the game plan for, for Cleveland, there was a lot of people, whether they be professional analysts or, you know, Monday morning armchair quarterbacks that were looking at that game plan going, Matt Nagy did not do enough to help Justin Fields. He didn't move the pocket. He didn't use a lot of motion. There wasn't a lot of play action. That there were things that he could do, could do you know, cut the field in half, do some rollouts some design QB runs. A lot of people took issue with what Matt Nagy did to set up this game against this Cleveland defense. Where, where are you with what you, what the game plan appeared to be going in? Well, I, I basically chart every series when I, when I do the game and I'm just here to tell you on the first game plan for, for the, the bears, these have nothing to do with the quarterback or the play caller. These, these issues first series, uh, it's third and two key, key down, right? Third and two. Uh, they get a missed block on a toss 39 crack, which really just sets up the play for failure. It's a tackle for loss. Allen Robinson, your, your, your franchise receiver doesn't block the right guy. Okay. The second series, a clowny beats a Fetty inside on a, on a first down, but bears were just trying to get an easy completion. They get a holding call. Now you take a young quarterback and now he's not on schedule anymore. Now it's first and 20. So they're already behind the eight ball against a very good defensive front. So that series basically blows up where it's a three and out. Uh, thir third series, they have back-to-back -back sacks. All right. Peters tries to cut block uh, Miles Garrett on a third and 15 play. Um, if you don't know football, third and 15, that's not a time you do a cut block because the, because the pass rusher, he can still recover and get the fields, which is what he did. Anyway, that's an 18 year veteran left tackle who did that, uh, four series, uh, Fetty again, it's third and one bears finally are doing some things with the ball third and one, uh, there's, uh, what do you get? Oh, they get a, they get a sack or there's a false start on Jermaine Fetty. So now on third and one now goes to third and six, which puts more pressure on a young quarterback. These are veteran players that are making these mistakes. That's not a coach that's making the mistake and that's not a young quarterback. So none of those things that I just mentioned had anything to do with Justin Fields. What it has to it reflects on Justin Fields because the players around him need to play better is what needs to happen. All right. So, so talking about execution, and, and I do think that's, that's a, a very relevant argument. And I think it's a relevant argument, even predating Justin Fields, that I think a lot of times when you look at film of these plays, you know, a lot of times it's just that if one thing happened kind of thing, the play would have been a lot yeah. more successful. If the receiver blocked, if you're right, you know, it's happened far too many times. Far yeah, too so many. what is the issue with execution? Do you put that on Matt Nagy or the offensive coaches? Like, well, why does this team, which like you said, this is one of the oldest teams in the NFL. This is loaded with veterans. Why is this team the last couple of years really struggling with execution? I, I don't know because it can't be tolerated. I think the only way you send a message is you start putting guys on the sideline, you know, because they say at least, you know, it's said that, you know, they practice well during the week. So it, either it's the intensity of practice or the lack of focus in practice, because whenever it translates to the field and the light comes on, you have these these lapses where you just have all these lack of execution in key moments. And that just can't happen. If you're, if you're a good football team, that just can't happen. And then, like I said, once the game 
starts going, by then the game plan's out the window, the way the game was unfolding. Now you've got to adjust to what Cleveland's doing. And, you know, they couldn't get the commitment to the run game. They want to give David Montgomery 20 carries. That basically was thrown out the window because they're playing from behind. But minimum, I would have liked more movement plays or, say, screens or draws, something to slow them down up front. You know, there's there's numerous things you can do to slow down that pass rush, to at least stun them a little bit, where they're just not pinning their ears back and, and feasting on fields for nine sacks. Yeah, so starting the second half, the Bears have the ball. They're actually only down 10-3. As poor yeah. as the offense looked in the first half, defense kept them in it. Right. Only 10-3, and they're starting with the ball. So at that point, if you're Jim Miller, offensive coordinator, had whatever you want to say, what's 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 what are you trying to do in that situation to try and at least get a sustained drive, you know, change the momentum a little bit, at least maybe get three points on the board, hopefully seven, and, and change the the momentum of this game. What would what would you have wanted to do coming out of? of yeah, that? I think you got to go back to your base offense is what you got to do, and and for you know, and that's another thing too because Fields is in there. You know, I, I got to believe the volume of plays weren't there. You're not going to dial up his first start where you give him, you know, 150 plays. You know, I think it's going to be scaled down. It's not as big as a game plan, say, as what it would have been with uh, Andy Dalton in the game. So I think you go to your base stuff. You go to your base throws to get the young man comfortable, easy completions, those type of things. And just like I said, some of them, you don't even have to throw the ball across the field. You saw Dallas last night. How many screen passes did they throw to Ezekiel Elliott? I mean, they were chewing up Philadelphia. And that's not even, it's not even a down the field throw. You're throwing it behind the line of scrimmage. And they were getting positive plays uh, from that standpoint. So there's a lot of base things that you can do. But again, do you trust that they can execute it? You know, a lot of times when I've seen the Bears run, say, like a running back screen, a legal man downfield, it's not timed up correctly. And again, that goes back to execution and guys being pros and, and really getting their nose in the playbook and knowing their assignment. Now let, let's take a look at Justin Fields. I think that's, that's, that is with as much that was breaking down around him. It's a tough game to evaluate him. but if you want to pull from the Cincinnati game as well, well, that's fine. So let's talk about fields thus far. What have you liked and where are the biggest issues you've seen with him? Well, I think you love his athleticism. You love his poise. Um, I think you love his toughness. You know, that third preseason game where he got run up, rung up by Andre Smith, the linebacker of, of Buffalo. I mean, the second preseason game, it shows you he'll sit in the pocket and take a shot, you know, and it didn't phase him at all. But he's got to be careful about that. As big as what he is as a quarterback, you know, we've seen bigger quarterbacks like Cam Newton, like uh, uh, Oliver or uh, uh, Andrew Luck that injuries have plagued them, right? One guy already retired and one guy's beat up and still not even signed and on the street. So he's got to be smart, not taking shots like that. He's not Superman. And I think he's just got to continue to work. He's just got to continue to understand the offense, uh, no situations uh, in the ball game. And I think uh, this past game, starting in the third quarter, because that first series ended in a sack as well. I think it was after that sack when he started to get a little bit of happy feet, you know, and I think he's realizes, you know, on the one play where Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett basically hawked him. I mean, that's a, a defensive end who, who caught Justin Fields from behind. He's going to realize that there are big athletes out there and they can run as fast as you. And you got to be smart and not take the, the punishment. He's very young. He's going to continue to grow, but he's got all the tools to be a top tier quarterback in the NFL. 
Yeah. And I, I think he can be an elite thrower of the football. Um, I saw the, the throw he made to Allen Robinson down the, the sideline, the 35 yeah. yarder. I think Robinson should have had that, that absolutely. If you're an elite receiver. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's positive there, but you know, I think a lot of bears fans and look, I think all bears fans should be excited for Justin Fields because I do think he has a chance to really become, you know, one of the best quarterbacks this franchise has ever seen. Sure. But at the same time, even in the Cincinnati game where things weren't quite as hectic, you know, he was late on some timing throws. You mentioned the false starts that he had. So, so there are some things to work on. And, and I think while all the hate right now is being directed at Matt Nagy, and I understand the offensive performance, people want to point the finger at somebody. So you start with the guy who runs the offense, but I do think there needs to be a, a higher level of patience with Justin Fields. than I think what a lot of the fan base has shown at this point. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the young man is not Superman. You know, when you start a rookie quarterback, you want a lot of veterans around him. And that's what the Bears have. They have veteran players across the board. He's a young quarterback and he needs those other 10 guys to play well to take the pressure off him. Like I said, you know, whatever they need to do to raise their level of play, the veterans around him have to play better in order for him to have a chance in the NFL. You can't put everything. He's not going to go into Cleveland and to be able to carry the team. That's just, that's just, you're not setting yourself up for a success that way. They need to run the football, play action pass, those type of things, and then let their uh, defense play the way they have. But unfortunately, because the offense isn't very good playing complimentary football, it just wears that defense out that they're on the field way too much. And you can see it happen in the game. Uh, like you said, it, that was a hell of a job by the Bears defense to hold Cleveland to 10 points. But now it starts compounding when you get here, they come out the second half, three and out, three and out, and your defense is thrown out there. And then you can just see Cleveland, those two yard runs started to become five yard runs, which became eight yard runs. And thus, and then finally became a 30 yard touchdown by Kareem Hunt. Sure. You know, it's just, they can't do that all day. The bears offense has to protect them. I do want to jump in on the defense for a couple minutes, but I do want to ask you one more thing about the offense. That's the offensive line. I think a lot of people had concerns about it going into the season and Fetty and Peters did pretty well. The first couple games, that was not the case against Cleveland. You know, Mustafa, I've seen having some issues anchoring and in, in pass protections. He's getting pushed back a lot. Whitehair is Aaron Donald, but, but Cody Whitehair got smoked by Aaron Donald, you know, f- frequently James Daniels, I thought played pretty well before his injury last season. I haven't seen the same player at, at, at that, that the offensive line. And I think, when you have a young quarterback like Justin Fields back there, you're really hoping that he can get enough time to throw and process the field, especially one of the drawbacks with Fields was he did kind of have a long release. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have that quick Dan Marino snap throw. So where are you with this offensive line and, and what can they do to try and play better as a full unit? Yeah, I, I think you you saw they had problems with speed rushers because a you know, for me, a better at guard. You know, I think that's in Seattle. He had a lot of penalties when they put him at right tackle. And it ultimately, uh, you know, I think Pete Carroll and the Seahawks just said we, you know, they let him go. And he was scheduled to be a, a guard uh, for the, the Chicago Bears until then Massey got hurt last year and they sure. took him off the tackle. And they thought he was playing well enough where he could continue there. Uh, Jason Peters is, he's, you know, he's going on 40 years old. I think you can see uh, he's probably a little overweight. Uh, he's got to get his weight down. But the one thing I do see about the Bears offense, they are big, all right? You look at uh, Peters, he's over 350. 
Uh, Cody Whitehair, he's 325. Uh, Matt Mustafer lifted and gained another 20 pounds this offseason. He's 326. Daniels is over 315 at the right guard spot, and Effetti's 330. So to me, I want more downhill traditional offense. Get these guys firing off the ball. But the problem is they, you know, just naggy their offense. They don't believe in a fullback. They, they haven't had one uh, since he's been here. They'll put J.P. Holtz in that uh, situation. But to me, J.P. is not a hammerhead. You know, he's not, say, like a, a like Sherman uh, for the Kansas City or like a John Kuhn uh, or Patrick Ricard, say, a, a Baltimore. Baltimore puts in that Patrick Ricard, and that's why their power game and running the football is so good. And that's just not the scheme of the Chicago Bears. But I want more downhill running and get the big guys going forward and downhill where they're not, you know, they're always in that shotgun and it's RPO and everything's lateral. It's not downhill uh, from my point of view, but that's just, you know, maybe I'm older school type of guy though, because the way I look at it is you've got a great defense, you know, to me, it's run the football play action, you know, take the air out of the football. Your defense is going to stay fresh from that standpoint and you don't have so many three and outs, you know, but I'm, again, I'm more traditional that way. Well, he's brought up the defense. So let's, let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball that, you know, to, to be honest, got, you know, just run out of the building by Sean McVay in week one, you know, a lot of secondary issues exposed, you know, the only time the bears had a three and out against McVay, they got a sack. So, you know, kind of showing that if, if you've got some talent issues in the secondary, like they have at nickel, Vildor's not, you know, he's not Deion Sanders as your CB two. he's, he's done. Okay. But, um, you know, you need to rush the quarterback. You need to get pressure. So they have to, they're forced to get the ball out there. And that's what's happened here. These, these last couple of games here, we've really seen that the, that defensive front really perform well, get to the quarterback, you know, cause some issues for the offense, really pleased with what I've seen from Sean Desai, especially some of the adaptations he made after week one, you know, wh- where are you with this defense? I know you, you, you used the term great. Um, I don't know if I'm still calling them great. I think they, they still have a chance to be very good, but I do like what I've seen out of this defense in weeks two and three. Yeah, when Pat and I graded their interior defensive line, we always put a grading scale on it. The Bears were number one. They came in with 19 points on a 20-point scale, so they've got a hell of a rotation up front. Outside backers with, with Mac healthy and Robert Quinn is playing a lot better. Um, you know, I think Sean Desai has done some things, like you said, where they'll, they'll put him on the same side. You saw versus Cincinnati, they would run some TE stunts and things like that. Um, but they, they've got a good rotation. Edwards now coming off the suspension. They're deep. Eddie Goldman will come back. So they've got a good rotation up front and they're legit. And I would put them as, as a front seven, as good as anybody in the league, because they got linebackers who can run, you know, Trevathan's not even out there, but I think Ogletree has really uh, uh, held down the fort, so to speak. Roquan Smith is uh, continuing to be a, an ascending player. They made an adjustment from Marquis Christian, who was the nickel week one versus the Rams. Now that is Duke Shelley. There was a huge battle going on through training camp. Ultimately, it looks like now Shelley has won that spot. And Vildor, they like his instincts. He's just got to play. You know, he hasn't played enough. Um, But you can't say, you know, anything that he's done has led to any of the Bears issues, uh, I think, right now with what they're dealing with. I think the defense will be fine. And but they're not going to be fine. They're going to start. Guys are going to go down to injury if they continue to log as many plays as they log. For example, at halftime, Cleveland had run 44 offensive plays compared to the Bears 16. 
that just it cannot sustain itself. Those guys will start to break down. Uh, plus, in the th- and I'll give you a direct example. In the fourth quarter where Hunt had that 30-yard run, um, who was it? Deion Bush had him dead to rights in the backfield. Yeah, in the backfield, yep. But uh, he's too fatigued. To me, your, your technique and all those things, when you're tired like that, start to break down. You know, and I think you, you see that when you, you get that kind of a fatigue on the field defensively. I want to ask you kind of a, a big picture thing, and this is kind of about Matt Nagy, because I think it, it's a little similar to your an experience you had when you were playing. And that was the that 2001 season that you were the quarterback of the Bears, where it just felt like everything was just going right. The Mike Brown plays, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know the, the Cleveland game. I know you were hurt for that game, but with the James, the, the James Allen touchdown and yeah. that just everything, just that team had just a vibe and it just, you know, and I think that vibe grew and you guys just had this tremendous 13 and three season, which I think if you weren't hurt against Philadelphia, we don't need to go down that road that the, you know, you know, you guys could have kept playing that 2018 team to me was, was very similar that just had that positive vibe where, where all things went well, but the other seasons around that season with Dick Duran and now clearly these seasons with Matt Nagy, it just, you know, they can't recapture the magic. What is it with a team locker room, head coach, whatever it might be where you can create that winning that winning environment and somehow not be able to hold on to it. Yeah. I I think, you know, it's how you work. You know, when you work day in and day out, you gain confidence. I mean, even going into that, I've been on teams where I, I just knew we were going to be a good team. You could just see it. The players, uh, the confidence level of the players, just how talented we were as a team. And you, you just, like you said, you get that vibe uh, in the locker room where everybody just works hard. Uh, they, they know that you, you're good and everybody's putting in the work and they're just a bunch of hard uh, working guys, but you got to earn it. You know, that 2001 team, that was probably one of the hardest working teams I've ever been on. I mean, for everybody from, you know, young players like Brian Urlacher uh, to 12-year veterans like James Big Cat Williams. I mean, everybody wanted to be in that building and they were there on time, uh, practice, meetings, uh, everything. You know, it's just guys wanted to do it. You wanted to be in that building and everybody was confident that we were prepared every single week that we were going to win the game. We, we felt it on the field. Like I've never gone into a, you know, into an opposing stadium where you have doubts in the back of your mind, like, man, I hope we're ready for this, or I hope we're ready for that. I just, that team, you, you just felt solid that everybody had prepared themselves accordingly and you were going to get the job done And you know, but that's all through hard work and guys feed, feeding off each other and, and, wanting to prepare to, to not let their brother down in, in those type of things. And, you know, right now I don't see the bears playing with a lot of confidence offensively. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see that either. And, and last one for you here after a game like that, a lot of, you know, national analysts, local analysts, obviously the fan base really, you know, up in arms with Matt Nagy here. A lot of people, you know, fire him now. Don't, don't keep him as the head coach. Now, we, I think a lot of people understand that, you know, you know, I know Nagy's got a year plus on the contract, but most coaches are let go with a year to go. You know, you know, they don't, you don't go into a season with a lame duck NFL head coach. So where are you? I'll ask you this more philosophically. Where are you in terms of firing a coach midseason? If, if, you know, the, if the ownership president, whoever it is, that's going to be making that decision says, I don't want this 
guy leading my team on the field anymore. Do you make a move week three, week four? Do you continue to try and keep some continuity and see if you can recover? Where are you philosophically about firing a coach? Well, I, I think I, I personally don't think that'll happen uh, for the Chicago. I mean, the, let's give Matt Nagy a break. They have gone to the playoffs two out of three years, but you know, they're bringing along a young quarterback. There's some issues with the offensive line they have to correct. And I think you allow the coach to try and rectify them. You know, one game does not define a season, but if it continues to look like this, maybe he's got to delegate it back over to Bill Lazor, who I thought did a fine job towards the end of last year. You know, you look at those last, I think those last eight games, uh, David Montgomery was second to only King Henry in running the football. You know, so they were dedicated and did some good things. So, you know, there one thing that you can always do with professional athletes is you got to challenge them. If you're a head coach, you challenge them. This is professional football. These are some of the most competitive people that you have ever seen. And trust me, anybody that wore that Bears uniform that's a part of that offense, you don't want your name on that last week. And I would think they're going to do something about that this week offensively. Yeah, I, I think they will. I, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but I do think softer defense that Detroit has team 0 and 3 again, they've been feisty this year, yeah. but I do think they will look better. Whatever to what degree we'll see, but they will look better against Detroit. That's Jim Miller, former bears quarterback, Sirius XM NFL radio is moving the chains every day, three to seven Eastern. And of course, bears analysts locally Fox and, and, and preseason and everything, Jim, thanks so much. Thanks for so much time. Great analysis. Really appreciate it. You bet bill. Good to be with you. All right. There he is. Jim Miller, everybody, I thought that was a really fair, balanced, and objective look at this team from Jim. I really did. I mean, he easily could have come out and just crushed Matt Nagy. He criticized Matt Nagy. He could have been, oh, poor Justin Fields. But no, he said that Fields still has some stuff to work on. And look, I know a lot of coaches in college do, do it like Ryan Day does it, where the, the play's coming from the sidelines and Fields doesn't have to process that in, in terms of that aspect of the game. He's not alone in that case. But I did think that was an interesting point when everyone says Justin Fields is NFL ready. Well, there's Jim Miller giving you the counterpoint as to why Justin Fields is not NFL ready. And that maybe it was a good move to have Andy Dalton play some games here. Sit the whole season? I, I don't know about that. You know, that whole Patrick Mahomes thing that Nagy kept throwing out there. I don't know about that, but give Fields some more time to develop and, and learn and see some things. I get it in terms of that regard when you hear, hear Miller say that. But, you know, I said it in my opening thoughts, which were really long. I had a lot on my mind. Apologies about that one. But I said it in my opening thoughts. Jim Miller said the same thing. The execution. What is going on with the execution of this offense all the time? Allen Robinson missed a block. Jermaine Effetti missed a block. You know, it, it, all the time. All the time with this team, something is happening on every play where things are not being executed well. And it's just, you, you can't have a cohesive unit if people aren't executing. And at this point, look, if the team isn't executing, I put it on the coach. These are veteran guys. So what, what is it? Is it Nagy's not holding them accountable? Nagy's not focusing on, on the basics? Well, whatever it might be, these are veteran guys that shouldn't be having, having these issues. But they are having these issues. So... There's a lot to unpack here. I did the best we could here in, in, in the hour or so that we had with you. But now, got to move on. Put this Cleveland debacle. You know, it's not like this is the first time the Bears have looked like a hot mess and recovered and played better in, in, in future games. I think they're going to play a lot better against Detroit. 
think they're going to feel better at home. I think Justin Fields is going to look tremendously better. I'm not saying Justin Fields is going to be amazing, but I think he's going to be much, much better than we saw. I think this offense as a unit is going to execute better. Again, I'm not saying they're going to be the Kansas City Chiefs, but I can they put up 300 to 350 yards and 20 points. They can absolutely do that against the Detroit Lions, who are 0-3, have shown that they're feisty under Dan Campbell, but have also shown that they can't get the job done. So the Bears are a better football team in my eyes than Detroit. They have this game at home. They should absolutely win this game, and they need to win this game to try and build some confidence because they really need to win that Raiders game too, I'll be honest. They need to get themselves above water. They need to get themselves to 3-2 and two and build some confidence into these games coming up. And maybe when, when these tough games come in, maybe things will start clicking for Fields. Maybe they'll go back to Dalton. Who knows? If Fields doesn't look tremendously better against Detroit, the sooner Andy Dalton can get in there, the better as far as Matt Nagy's going to be concerned. So hopefully they, they kind of execute and kind of look more cohesive as a unit. And I do think they will. I think they're embarrassed about what they did as a team, not just Matt Nagy, that those players in that locker room are embarrassed about how they played. And I think they're going to bounce back. I think the Bears are going to beat Detroit. Maybe I'm crazy based on what I just saw. I think they're going to beat Detroit. I think we're looking at something around 24 to 16, something like that. I think the Bears win the game. So I'm going to call it a victory, and they get back to 2-2, two and two, which is just would be remarkable based on how badly they executed against Cleveland. But hey, they're 2-2 two and two basically you know, through the month of September. I think you got to take it at this point. So we will talk about it next week. Bear down, everybody. Cross your fingers. We'll talk to you soon.